0: Welcome to Boca Live, Boca Raton Magazine's first and only podcast where you'll hear all about what to do, where to go, the best eats and more in South Florida. Each week you'll hear from us, the editors of Boca Mag, while we chat with the who's who of Boca and beyond about everything from wacky Florida stories to the hottest chefs to the biggest events. We're here and we're Boca, live. Thanks for tuning in to Boca Live. My name is John Thomason, Managing Editor with Boca Magazine. Well, it's that time of the year again. Festival of the Arts Boca is underway, and it's another star-studded lineup for 2018. Here are a few of this year's guests. On Saturday, February 24th, you can hear violin virtuoso Itzhak Perlman perform a special klezmer program. On March 1st, composer, producer, and songwriter T-Bone Burnett will discuss his eclectic career. On March 2nd, comedy legend Bill Murray and special guests will present a one-of-a-kind evening of music, poetry, and prose, and perhaps a throwback to his lounge singer days on Saturday Night Live. On March 4th, the festival will close with a screening of Steven Spielberg's beloved E.T., the Extraterrestrial, complete with live orchestration. And on February 26th, all eyes will be on one of the most distinguished American diplomats of our time. At 7.30 that evening, Richard Haas, president of the Nonpartisan Council on Foreign Relations, we'll discuss some of the major flashpoints and geopolitical issues facing the United States. His presentation is called A World in Disarray. That's also the title of his 2017 book, which the New York Times described as, a calm look at a chaotic global order. An updated paperback edition of A World in Disarray was published in January, and we'll get into some of those updates in the following discussion. I previously interviewed Dr. Haas for the February edition of Boca Magazine, which is available now. But he was generous enough to grant us a second interview in late february which we present now for your listening pleasure first of all thank you so much for speaking with us again uh we spoke a couple of months back for the print edition and i have a whole new slate of topics this time because the news changes so much every day um we're all looking forward to the uh, the insights that you'll share with us on february 26th at festival of the arts boca uh, what are some of the topics that you expect to discuss?
1: Well, there's no shortage of topics these days in, in, in the world. It's everything from the Korean Peninsula, uh, the rise of China, to the behavior uh, of Russia, to the uh, continuing turmoil in the Middle East, to uh, Venezuela, to uh the learning of America's debt. And, uh, again, there's there's
0: no shortage of public. And all of these things collectively create this, this world in disarray, yes? Yes,
1: sir.
0: And at lectures such as this when the floor is open for Q&As, what do you find the public to be most curious about?
1: That's, that's hard to say because so much depends upon what individuals have in their minds. So it may be... For some people, it's the Iran nuclear agreement. For other people, it's uh, something about the prospects for war in in, the Korean Peninsula. For still others. It's to do with Russia and the American election. Uh, It also depends upon what news story broke that day. If we were doing it tonight, given the the Mueller indictment of these Russian entities, I expect that might might get more attention. it's so much just you know, so, you know, the questions depend upon people's you know, particular interests uh, and then also you know, the news, so it's, it, it's
0: hard to predict, hard to say. Uh, you mentioned North Korea, and you had some, uh, some blunt words on social media this week uh, directed at Mike Pence for the administration's stance on North Korean diplomacy. Uh, describe for us what that stance is and uh, why you oppose it.
1: when I look at the options on the Korean Peninsula, uh, I don't much, uh, I don't like the idea of simply allowing North Korea to continue to build up nuclear and missile capabilities. I uh, do not find the idea of going to war attractive, so uh, I would at least like to explore diplomacy Hmm. before I have to contemplate uh, either of the other two options. But, To to say that the United States will only negotiate after North Korea commits itself to uh, denuclearization seems to me to rule out diplomacy. Hmm. Uh, I believe we should not be setting that kind of, uh, that specific precondition. Uh, And I believe that we should be prepared to at least consider uh, lesser... Uh, so-called interim or uh, partial uh, arrangements. So I, I just, I just don't believe saying these things makes uh, it paves the way to some sort of uh, an acceptable peaceful outcome.
0: The uh, dangerous rhetoric that has been exchanged between Kim Jong Un and President Trump has been kind of on a, on hold. Uh, this month and and most of this year so far, with the with the Olympics happening. Uh, do you believe, as some do, that we will end up going to war with North Korea in some capacity this year?
1: Yeah, the honest answer is I don't know. Uh, you know. A war could happen either by accident, forces from the two countries to literally or figuratively collide, and uh, there could be an incident involving American aircraft or ships. War mm-hmm. uh, could also come about by design. Uh, the administration could, under some circumstances, launch some type of uh, limited uh, attack. And also, it's always possible North Korea could do something. In uh, my view, is uh, I I can't. It's hard. It's hard to say what the the odds are. All I can say is, if it were to happen, I believe it would be a costly <clears throat> by any and every measure.
0: And I would hard, it would be hard for me to imagine that the public, by and large, would support it.
1: Again, the question of supporting a war depends upon, compared to what? And you have to ask yourself, how would the public feel about, for example, in North Korea, that in five or ten years had 50 nuclear weapons on 50 missiles that could destroy the 50 largest American cities? The public would obviously oppose that. The public... Would we'll also oppose uh, a war if it turned out to be costly. Uh, it's the reason you don't know, conduct foreign policy by, by
0: referendum. Uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, these are tough choices. Uh, w- would you agree that there really are no good options in this situation, but we need to go with the one that's least oh, potentially destructive?
1: Sure. Uh, that's why, again, I would explore a diplomatic outcome. It yeah. won't we'll solve the problem. I don't know. Korea is not going to uh, sign on the dotted line and give up their nuclear weapons and missiles. But you may get uh, uh, an outcome that's preferable to the alternatives. And that's, that's
0: sometimes, that's often the most you can hope for. Hmm. Uh, your book, A World in Disarray, was reissued in January in an updated paperback edition. Uh, right. what, what additional conflicts or issues made the cut for this update?
1: The biggest change between the original book, which was published just over a year ago, and the new edition, uh, is the Trump administration. And my argument is that uh, the first year of the Trump administration, on balance, added to the disarray in the world because it raised fundamental questions about uh, American reliability uh, and American commitment to either alliances to various international agreements the
0: Um, do you do you fear that disarray has become the new normal in American politics? And if not, who who out there can reverse it? I'm not
1: sure what you mean by American politics. You mean domestically? Do I think there's America American in the world?
0: What are you asking Um Well, I guess I I guess I didn't really make that distinction when I formulated the question. But a, a lot of people use the word disarray to describe the Trump administration, chaos, okay, disorder. Yes, sir. Well, look,
1: I've worked seen anything remotely like this. So there's there's disarray to and to a significant degree in the administration, unclear lines of authority, uh, the president's tweets, a lot of positions have gone unfilled, a lot of people have left, uh, a lot of uh, inconsistencies. So you've, you've got considerable disarray within the In disarray in the world. Uh, so, this is a dangerous moment. The combination of a, of a divided, somewhat disorganized United States and administration in the context of uh, a world that is in uh, disarray is a, uh, is a potentially toxic combination that people ought to be worried.
0: And are you still a registered Republican? I am. So, would you support a primary challenge from the president's own party?
1: I would just simply say that uh, I became a Republican because I believed in such things as uh, a leading American role in the world, uh, commitment to uh, solid, you know, uh, the commitment to balance or close to balance budgets, uh, relatively small government promotion of markets, uh, liberalism in the classic sense, respect for uh, rights and their belief in institutions. And I would simply say that I don't see those values or norms or principles uh, reflected for the most part by
0: Yeah, so now the the Council on Foreign Relations is a nonpartisan think tank. Are there challenges to remain nonpartisan and non-ideological in what appears to be a very polarized environment? I mean, do you get criticized from both sides?
1: the importance of remaining independent from the government. Uh, we don't take institutional positions. Uh, individuals such as myself or our fellows or others take positions in what they say uh, and write. And, you know, I just want us to have a reputation for being uh, analytically you know, rigorous, for being smart, for being intellectually honest. Uh, that's, my, that's my goal. I always say that my my, my role is not one of editorial control but it's one of quality control Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure again that we're we're smart we're careful we're rigorous we're fair Uh, but but we're again we're individuals what what they for very different positions on, on on just about every issue. That's you know, it's a, I want it to be a, a rich debate. My, my goal is not to have council on foreign relations to become uh, predictable or uniform. I want it to be a, a rich debate. I just want it to be an informed debate. Uh, you know, I want it to be a civil debate. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think that that plays out when people read your, your Twitter account and, and uh, take in some of your stances on uh, any number of issues. Um, Good, thank you. Are there, con- right. are there uh, conflicts or major geopolitical news that the public is mostly in the dark about because perhaps the media is not adequately covering them? Good
1: question. Uh, I think the short answer is yes. Uh, I don't believe people are paying enough attention, say, to the refugee crisis being caused uh, by Venezuela. I don't believe people are thinking hard enough about the uh, long-term consequences of American uh, indebtedness, American debt. Uh, the administration the other day, for example, made some big announcements on uh, nuclear policy. And that didn't—I you know, didn't see that getting much uh, debated. I, I, I could go on and on. I mean, I, I think what what we have is now there's—you'd probably see this as much as anybody. But we all feel a sense of news overload. Mm-hmm. And, and in the last 24 hours obviously it's been the, tr- the horror the tragedy of the shooting in um, Florida not far from you mm-hmm. uh, the last half hour it's been the story or hour about, about the, Russia, the Mueller indictment on the Russian entities but there's a sense that uh, the volume and velocity of news has picked up so I think we're all feeling a, a bit overwhelmed and often on specific issues close to the attention they deserve. And and that's something I'm I'm keenly aware of. And one of the things I try to do, others can judge whether I do it successfully or not, one of the things I try to do is to return to issues that I think deserve more
0: Yeah, interesting. Was not that one of the uh, prime accomplishments of the George W. Bush administration, combating AIDS across Africa, for instance? Yes,
1: PEPFAR was a major thing, but this is actually more basic. The Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta has all sorts of offices around the world that works with local governments to monitor disease outbreaks, to build up local capacities, and we're cutting back on funding for that. Hmm that's the sort of thing that, for a lot of people, sets off alarm bells. But trust me, if it went, there's the next outbreak of a uh, uh, Zika or Ebola, or there's a pandemic flu that comes out of some distant part of the world, uh, it will have tremendous repercussions here in
0: the United States. Uh, going back to what you were saying about what the media decides to cover, um, anyone who watches cable news, as I do, would probably recognize that in any given hour. There's maybe two or three stories covered exhaustively when there could be five or six stories. One of the
1: most, for any news agency, whether it's a newspaper or television or what have you, is the question both of what to cover and how to cover it. And in some ways, the most important editorial judgment you make is, is what what to cover. If you have one page or one hour, you have a limited amount of time or space. What you write about or what you show and what you don't write about and don't show, that. That's as important as anything else. So what worries me often is that international issues get short shrift uh, because people are more concerned what seems to be literally and figuratively closer
0: to home. Right, that's true. I was on a plane recently and watched a little of uh, CNN International, and I felt like I knew a lot more about what was going on in the world than watching an hour of CNN primetime here. Uh, one of the most uh, interesting stories this week was the uh, was the recommended indictment of Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, Israel is and has been a friend to the U.S. No matter who is in charge. But do you believe that the U.S. should just let this play out in the Israeli uh, justice system, or take a stance on it?
1: No, absolutely, we should let it play out. Uh, I think it's a, always just it's almost always a mistake when we get. A- or legal procedures of other countries and vice versa. Uh, and Israelis will have to decide what's the political or legal fate of uh, Mr. Netanyahu.
0: Have you looked into that story any deeply and you think that there's uh, a lot of weight to this indictment? Okay, well, you are, uh, you're certainly an immaculate source of, of information for a lot of what's going on in the world. I wonder, what are your most trusted sources of information? Uh, what do you read first when you wake up in the morning?
1: I don't think any of it will surprise you. I, I read the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the Financial Times, and I keep dark secret as I read the New York Post. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: so I, I read those newspapers every day. I read magazines like The Economist, The Atlantic, uh, The New Yorker. Uh, and then, but in the course of my day, I read an enormous amount of material, particularly online from all over the world. I'm on all these lists. I'm on all these sites, just keeping up with the, uh, the latest news, and more often analysis. And it's one of the things I like about Twitter. I spend some time on Twitter, not simply... I maybe only tweet once or twice a day at most. Some days I don't tweet Mm -hmm. at all. But I spend a little bit of time on Twitter every day because every time I go on there, I come across articles, uh, opinion pieces, analysis pieces, and I just learn. So I just have a, I try to, you know, know, at least uh, I don't know what the time is, but whenever I have a break in the day between meetings, I just I often just go on Twitter to see what I come across and then, you know, right and I, I get lucky and find something that uh, that I, that I that I learn from so I, I just do that And you know, like anybody else, you know I read my share of books, particularly when I go on airplanes. but uh, but in the course of the average day, it's probably a half dozen newspapers and, you know, the magazines and then uh also, you know, I, I guess I would say the answer is I, I read a lot connected to my job I have to read pretty much everything we produce and publish here so it just means that every day I'm reading you know, manuscripts and papers of one sort or another uh, produced by the think tank here at the council
0: and you mentioned The New Yorker one of my favorite publications as well uh, what do you think of of Ronan Farrow's scoop the day of this the the day that we're recording this uh, that uh, Donald Trump had a, a extramarital affair uh, with a playboy model or a playmate, uh, or is that too salacious for the Council on Foreign Relations to really get into? Well,
1: I can't speak for the Council. I haven't yet had the chance to read it, but look, Runner Farrow has played an important role in you know, breaking some stories in the Me Too movement in this. Uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to read uh, to read this uh, yet. Yeah, at least with so, you know, I have no idea. Again, it, I don't know what, what he wrote. Again. I don't know what he brought to it, but what's interesting is so far these these stories don't seem to have had much of an impact on the uh, on the president's standing.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, finally, the last thing I wanted to ask you, since uh, I, I was away in Maui for about eight days and uh, on a kind of a working vacation, and I got very little news. I was too busy having fun out there. Um, do you ever allow yourself to unplug from the news of the world from time to time, and uh, if so, do you believe it can be health, a healthy thing to do?
1: I think it's an essential thing to do. Uh, you know, when we began the conversation, I, I think for a minute, we were, I was talking about the, the volume and velocity of news, and it's overwhelming. Uh, and you, you can just get exhausted by it or numb by it, and I think you, you've got to take a step back. And one of the main reasons I play golf. I love the fact that on golf courses you can't, many you know, private golf courses, you're not allowed to use uh, your phone. You can't you know, read the latest uh, email or go on Twitter. I think that's great. I love it. Mm hmm.
0: I think I picked a good week to get away. I missed a minuscule government shutdown and about a week of talk about the dueling memos, which was not a story that ever particularly lit a fire under me to uh, begin with.
1: Um, yeah, well, I do not think you are fundamentally the worst for having missed some of that and been away. My hunch is you might even be somewhat better off. Yeah. you the, the argument for going to Maui.
0: Yeah, uh, thank you, thank you. Well, I really appreciate the time uh, once again, and uh, we'll... Um, We'll see you on the 26th, and I'll bring a copy of the uh, the magazine with the interview. Thank you, Take care of yourself. We'd like to thank Richard Haas for this interview, and thank you for listening. Once again, he will appear at Meissner Park Amphitheater at 7:30 p.m. February 26th. Tickets are still available at festivaloftheartsboca.org.